This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, folks, and thanks for joining AOA to start another week. It is June 6th already. Summer is upon us. Schools are out across the country, and farmers are working to get that crop in the field. We'll hear a little bit later today how much progress made this last week for farmers getting those crops in the ground from that uh, Monday crop progress report. We're also going to be keeping an eye on the weather this week. And to that end, John Baranek of DTN Weather will join us here in segment two for a look out at the week ahead. And in segment three, we're going to speak with Jackie Fatka. She's our policy editor over at Farm Futures with the Farm Progress team. She has been plugged into a lot that's been going on in Washington, D.C. Had an update from the EPA on Friday. We've got additional comments on that $2.1 billion food system renegotiation transformation that President Biden and Secretary Vilsack were discussing last week. Lots happening in Washington, D.C. Before we get into all of that, though, we are seeing the ag markets rallying today, really kicking it off strong in the wheat market. Joining me today to talk about it is Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing up in South Dakota. Dwayne, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mike. The wheat market, Dwayne, we're up 50 cents today here in Chicago. Wheat, what is happening over there? Is this additional spillover from the Russian invasion of Ukraine? Yeah, it sure is. You know, the weekend started off with actually, you know, bearish to the wheat market with Russia agreeing to meet with the UN in Tuesday on Tuesday in Turkey to talk about actually getting some of the grain out of Ukraine, allowing exports out. So that's why the market's been down the last, you know, I'd say week. It was down over a buck last week in the wheat market, but then yesterday mid morning, uh Russia attacked a couple different ports in Ukraine and probably saw it on social media, several pictures of fires going on and and the bombing there. So uh, that flipped the switch to, wait a minute, I don't think Russia is even interested in getting any wheat exported out of Ukraine. So that's what the market's thinking this morning. So we're recovering some of those losses from last week. So man, yeah, on again, off again, wheat market and kind of got me caught on the wrong end of it this morning, rolled me over. So it happens to a lot of traders right now. It's a tough market to trade. Yeah, I mean, this volatile time that we're in means everybody's head needs to be on a swivel. Dwayne, I think that's a fact. While we're thinking about this wheat crop here, I know you talked to folks throughout, well, the northern plains, spring wheat. We're still struggling to get that in the ground. What have you heard from your neighbors there to the north in North Dakota? They're they're working hard. They're pressing and trying. We had an open week last week, but that doesn't mean we planted for seven days. By no means, we had so many, so much rains the weekend before. It took four or five drying days to even just get started. Um, you know, by Thursday, Friday, and this weekend, guys were going. I, they, I'm still hearing reports that they wanted to get the wheat in. Kind of gave up on some corn acres. It sure sounds like, but they they don't mind late planted wheat, so they really pushed the issue there. So, I think in general, we're getting. A lot of the spring wheat crop planted. The guys who are planted to meet west of me and south, uh, really good conditions as the wheat comes up. So they're excited about the crop potential there. But, you know, Canada, we're going to question how much they're going to get planted for probably months ahead yet. So look for a, a volatile market to continue. All right. That's on the spring side. On the winter wheat side, that harvest is moving along. Dwayne, have you heard any updates from our, our friends to the south? We're getting that wheat off. How are yields looking? 
Hey, so far, early yields uh, haven't heard much from. I'm expecting to hear that better than expected pretty soon, though. We did have rains late. The market keeps saying that they were too late, but, you know, I, I think it helped the wheat a little bit, boost it. So I, I haven't heard much reports yet, but I am expecting that better than expected. All right, Dwayne, as we look over at the corn market, we're seeing corn rally today, too. Is this just spillover strength from the wheat trade, or is there something else happening in corn? No, I think it's just a spillover from the wheat trade being higher. Because when you watch here at 8.30 when this market opened up, corn actually started to drift lower right away. Beans are, of course, lower now. But corn's coming back, but it's only because wheat's making the new highs at that plus 50 in Chicago. So I think it's just being pulled up. You know, corn... The funds are exiting a lot of those long positions last week. They sold another 23000 That wasn't as much as the trade expected. They expect them to be selling even more. So, I, you know, for the most part, other than North Dakota, the, the corn's in the ground and coming up. Needs a little bit of heat, but by God, eventually we'll get the heat. And when crop conditions finally start coming out, I think the trade knows that we're going to see some pretty high, good to excellent ratings in the corn market. So, maybe the acres are down a little bit, but that's maybe for a June 30th time frame to discuss and trade that. Right now, it feels like the pressure is going to be down on this corn market for a little while, which is a seasonal tendency, of course. Absolutely. When those those uh, stands start coming out of the ground and they look good, and they almost always look good here at the beginning parts of spring, we do see that pressure. Dwayne, looking over to soybeans, we've got the old crop down, new crop up. What are we seeing happen here in that bean market? Yeah, uh, I think the soybean market is just a little unsure of itself right now on which way to go. Um, you know, exports are finally starting to slow down. We did have the export sales announcement to like Pakistan last week, but we're not seeing China involved anymore. And there's more talk that they're buying from Brazil. Now, China's coming off their COVID restrictions, so you'd think that would be positive. But I think, I think the soybean market traded that last week, getting us back up to the old highs. Um, Oh, the market actually seems to be struggling a little bit this morning. Maybe it's more of the unwinding of all this corn, soybean, wheat spreads we've been seeing lately too. But, you know, same thing with beans, you know, with a generally good forecast for normal crop development and, and fairly open in North Dakota this week, I think guys are assuming we're going to get the beans planted. And that's what I'm hearing from my fellow growers to the north of us is they're going to push it. I mean, I was out in the field yesterday and, man, a lot of circling around tiny little potholes, but we're also going to finally get some stuff done here too. Well, I'm glad to hear that, Dwayne. Glad you guys are getting out there, getting some some mud on the tires this year. Let's turn our focus real quick over to the livestock market, Dwayne. Feeder cattle pretty strong this last week, and today we're seeing a little bit of weakness. What's your sense on where the cattle market's going to head here this week? I, I think, you know, that feeder market was rallying last week because the corn market was down and a little vice versa here today, just a little bit. But, you know, in general, I think the cattle market's going to go up here. Um, I think the feeders were the leaders last week showing where the fat market eventually is going to go. We keep hearing of all the cattle that are ready and coming, but production's been down the last two weeks. So a little less slaughter, a little lighter weights were very current. Um, June contract goes into delivery tonight, of course, but I think this market's going to actually rally, and I think they'll finally start paying up for some of the cash cattle a little bit anyway, and, and June's at a pretty good discount to cash, so it should be well-supported. What what are you expecting? Do you think we're going to be closer to that 135, 137 in cash trade this week? You know, I, I think so. That, that plus, maybe. Um, Depends, you know, I think in the north, you could see that 140, I think, yeah, you get the Kansas now, you get more of that 135, and I think that can bump up to the 137. I think you're right, Mike. All right, lots to watch there. Dwayne, hog market's down a little bit today. That's kind of surprising with China reopening, isn't it? That is a little surprising. Uh, 
not really sure what's going on in the hog market this morning. I know that's really the, the great insight you want to hear is I don't know, but it's a little surprising to me because, yeah, you got China open. You got our Dow futures up, you know, 300 some points. Lately this winter, that hog market has actually been more of a money flow market, followed the stock market up and down. So the selling's a little bit of a surprise to me today, maybe just a little bit of pullback because there are a lot of supplies there. But with weights coming down there, too, I think they'll find support very soon. All right, lots to watch there in the markets. Dwayne Bussey, Bolt Marketing up in Britain, South Dakota. Thanks for jumping on today, and good luck getting the rest of that seed in the ground, Dwayne. Yeah, thanks, Mike. And folks, stick with us. John Baranek of DTN Weather will join us here after the break. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest and trustworthy this message brought to you by the national association of farm broadcasting get on board the water is open it's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs it's get out on the water season it's time to get on board Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. Get on board. It's been our legacy year after year, and we're proud of our heritage. At FS, our focus has been on improving growers' profitability by developing leading products and services to advance operations. Year after year, We've been committed to pointing the way forward. So visit fssystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the Foundation, foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. 
Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Up next, we are talking with John Baranek of DTN Weather. John, thanks for joining us here on this Monday. Oh, yeah, it's a lovely Monday morning up here in Minnesota. I hope it is for everybody else. But, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on the program today. Well, absolutely, John. And we're going to start right there. We just heard from Dwayne Bussey. He mentioned that some farmers up in North Dakota were expecting to see some clear skies this week, get some of that last remaining corn and soybean and spring wheat in the ground. Does it look like that's going to be the case? They're going to see some clear skies up in the Northern Plains this week, John? Yeah, they'll get a little bit of cooperation here, uh, fortunately for them. I mean, we've got a lot of systems moving through the country here this week, but they're going to stay a little bit farther south uh, than that Red River Valley up there. And so they'll have a chance to dry out. Now, it might not be completely dry. There may be some isolated showers that will through here at times, but nothing overly heavy is really expected here all the way through most of the weekend, honestly. So uh, they'll, have, they'll, have, they'll have their chances at least to get some uh, drier, drier conditions to, to get out and plant, hopefully, for them. Yeah, that'll be good news for a lot of those growers. But, John, you mentioned a lot of systems coming through this week. So it sounds like it's going to be a busy weather week for the rest of us. Who's going to get what and yeah, when, John? Yeah, there's there's not a whole lot of um, um, dry time anywhere in, in the week here. If, if you look at it, there's going to be some showers, thunderstorms somewhere across the major growing areas here east of the Rockies. All week long, uh, we've got uh, a system right now today here that's already kind of producing some some thunderstorms uh, getting up to the uh, Mississippi River. We've got kind of a shield of, of light to moderate rain across the Great Lakes. That's more showers across the Dakotas and the Montana and the Western Prairie. So we're kind of active already here this morning. And a lot of this kind of just kind of continues to just shift its way eastward here today. We've got another system kind of moving through tomorrow. I mean, we've got just system after system of just little disturbances moving right through the, the heart of the country and just bringing period of showers and thunderstorms, a little bit of severe weather with it too. Uh, so, you know, we just got a mixed bag of everything. It's just kind of really that river, Red River Valley and, and uh, South Texas really doesn't really have chances for, for good precip uh, this week, but uh, everywhere else seems to. And you mentioned, John, these are little systems, but you touched on the risk of severe weather. It's it's always there when to this time of year. Where do you see that severe weather posing the biggest threat in the week ahead? Yeah, it's going to shift a little bit just depending on where these little things move and kind of where they leave behind uh, outflow boundaries from the night before and stuff like that. But for, for today, we've got a couple of things. Um, one was kind of thunderstorms that moved through uh, the, the, the central plains yesterday of uh, what's called a, a mesoscale convective vortex, basically a little tight, little um, mid-level low-pressure center that's kind of trucking across uh, Missouri right now. And so we'll see kind of uh, some stronger thunderstorms likely uh, along the Mississippi River and into the Mid-South here for today. Might see some out in the High Plains and in western Kansas up to the Black Hills. Uh, kind of tomorrow, we kind of get out in the plains for the most part, but we may still see some, uh, some decent thunderstorms across the Tennessee Valley tomorrow. Um, for Wednesday, kind of a more muted day weather-wise. We don't see a whole lot, but um, as we get into Thursday and Friday and the next system that moves through, it looks like another plains to, to mid-south kind of uh, one-two punch between Thursday and Friday. So 
uh, kind of just moving its way through um, with each of these little systems uh, going through the, throughout the week. All right, that makes sense. John, I want to look a little bit bigger picture. There was a tweet out this weekend from the National Weather Service Indianapolis office, and they tweeted out that the relative humidity 5 p.m. at on Saturday was at 18%. And their records showed that we have only seen relative humidity that low in Indianapolis in 1994, 1988, and 2012. And of course, I re remember 2012, and I've heard the drought of 88 discussed, but those are some troublesome analog years. Are you growing concerned about this dryness in the atmosphere or, or am I just overemphasizing one tweet? Yeah, I think that, especially in Indiana, it's more of a fluke. Uh, it's just something that uh, conditions just were just perfect for that time to happen. Uh, you know, that, that sort of thing happens all the time. I mean, even in, in, a, in a drought year, um, it, it's not, not completely bone dry. You'll have something moving through. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a very interesting statistic. I didn't uh, I didn't see that one from them, um, and that's I don't think it's uh, uh, anything to be overly concerned about right now because I mean, that was probably just the one day thing on Saturday where that happened. Because now today they've got uh, showers and thunderstorms moving through today. Uh, plenty of wet out there, and actually some of those areas I wonder if it was that dry over the weekend are getting showers here this week. So. Uh, that'll, that'll really kind of put an end to any of that dry talk for at least a little while here. All right. For at least a little while, John, of course, that's the key. As we get into the summer months, the market's focus turns to weather. Farmers' eyes go to the sky. We want to see if we can get this crop to the finish line. To that end, uh, ocean temperatures certainly matter. You've been talking about this extended La Nina period we've been in. Does it look like that is set to continue through the summer? It is, uh, and that's a little unfortunate. The, I think the good news, if there is any good news, is that uh, models earlier this spring were really hard fast on really keeping La Nina socked in all the way through the summer and into the fall. Uh, over recent weeks, they've been kind of waffling on that a bit, so maybe not as strong as the La Nina, and we get a little bit more breakage um, in that kind of pattern throughout at least July uh, and August. But you know, La Nina doesn't have a huge impact during the summer months anyway. Uh, if anything, it tends to, um, La Nina conditions tend to, to favor a hot, dry ridge across uh, the middle of the country. Uh, we were kind of predicting that in the, in the, in the wintertime, we weren't expecting La Nina conditions to continue. So, um, you know, with the La Nina, we were a little bit more uh, confident that that would be the case. Uh, but with it kind of waffling around a bit more, Maybe not as confident, but, you know, models, if we look out at the longer range ones, July and August still look like hot and dry months uh, for a good portion of the Corn Belt. Maybe not so much in the eastern Corn Belt, but definitely in the west and, uh, and across the plains. Um, we just have to get through June 1st, but uh, June uh, has been a very active uh, pattern here early on, and it looks like it will be, uh, at least for the northern half of the country, all the way through the end of the month. The southern end that looks like uh, we're going to start shifting towards that hotter and drier here, uh, probably not uh, not next week, but uh, the, the week after. 
Okay, and that shift towards hotter and drier, John, I mean, that's where I was going with my next question. I pulled up last week's drought monitor. It was released on Thursday. And my goodness, that Missouri River all the way down to the uh, the Missouri line is basically the drought expanse. It's the entire western half of the United States. Are you expecting that to start to dissipate? Or is this hot and dry weather cranks back up? Or are friends in the southern plains going to uh, see their drought intensify? Yeah, so, you know, over the next couple of weeks, uh, I would expect to see at least some uh, improvement in some of these areas, especially around Nebraska and maybe even western Kansas uh, and, and you know, up through the northern plains too. West, you're right, the Missouri rivers are pretty good, pretty good uh, delineation of where the drought is and where it's not. Um, and those areas kind of out the west there, I think at least over the next couple of weeks have some, have some good chances of, of uh, seeing some improvement out there. But, you know, as we get towards the end of June and uh, we get into July, uh, if we can't get it totally rid of it, I think we'll see uh, those conditions worsening. And even if we do see some elimination in some of these areas, I think it'll it'll come creeping back. And uh, those the areas, especially from from western Kansas down through Texas, um, is really where we've been the most concerned. We've been talking about that for weeks uh, over the the, the springtime here for for winter wheat. But you know. We've got some decent weather for, for a lot of these areas over the last couple of weeks, getting the moisture. Some of the soils, even with the drought, hasn't completely eliminated at all. But, um, you know, I think as we, as we move closer and closer to July and then through it and, and, uh, and August as well, we should see the, the drought kind of, uh, kind of returning its grip on, on the region and seeing uh, crop conditions uh, declining over the summer months. All right, John. And before we let you go, we are into June. The tropical season is underway. Is there any activity down in the Gulf or in the tropics that you're watching for that we should be alert to? Well, we had one last week. It didn't actually turn out to be a tropical storm until after it crossed Florida. Dumped some pretty heavy rain over there and became Tropical Storm Alex on Sunday as it, as it, uh, as it moved away from Florida. That, uh, that's starting to kind of wrap itself out. Um, we do have potential here there's there's some models kind of forming something in the gulf uh later next week um it could end up just being a bunch of of extra shower activity but we'll have to we'll have to watch that one because if it does turn into something tropical we could see it moving up uh, towards the texas coastline so i mean that's way out in the in the future and models have a tendency to kind of overblow things uh at this juncture um, this far out, but uh, we'll just have to keep on watching that. If anything, Mexico or maybe the, the uh, Eastern Pacific could end up with another system. All right, John. Well, you keep an eye on this guy. We'll get you back on in a week, get an update on what to expect in next week, week ahead. Folks, that's John Baranek of DTN Weather. John, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. Always good to talk to you, Mike. Absolutely. And folks, stick with us. Jackie Fatka of Farm Progress will be joining us to discuss the RVO release from Friday's EPA. Stick around for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you. And we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us Around the Table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 
Hi, I'm Smokey Bear, and I made an assistant to help you out, because only you can prevent wildfires. Hey, Assistant Smokey Bear, call me Papa Bear, because I'm grilling up dinner. <laughs> do you get it? Yes, good job. So, what should I do with all these coals? Don't just toss them out. Put them in a metal container, because those embers can start a wildfire. I understand. The stakes are high. Ha, 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 ha. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ag Council. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, we see the grain markets, they are trading higher in wheat while corded soybeans have backed off their highs from the overnight session and the open of day trade here this morning. Now we see wheat futures moving higher as more tensions are being seen between Russia and Ukraine, rapidly escalating tensions with Russia attacking some grain storage facilities over the weekend. And that is really uh, lighting a fire under the wheat complex as it brought a little reality to those holding on to hope that we might see corridors open here for grain and oil seeds to move out of ukrainian ports it's not looking like reality crude oil prices pushing to fresh highs last seen in early march but they've struggled to sustain that strength here in today's session early on with the vix is relatively stable near 25 this morning the dollar index again trading near 102.1 these grain markets going to be watching closely as we have this afternoon's crop progress report. We're going to be looking at emergence as well as what has gotten planted across parts of the northern plains. Then coming up later this week on Friday, it is our monthly WASDE crop report. Trade going to be keeping a close eye on that as well. Will we see news to feed the bull here this week or not? That remains to be seen. As we take a look at numbers, July quarter up nine and three quarters at seven thirty-seven and a quarter. December up nine and three quarters at six ninety-nine and three quarters. July beans down two sixteen ninety-five and three quarters. November up one and a quarter fifteen twenty-eight and a quarter. July bean meal up a dollar forty a ton at four oh nine thirty. July bean oil down fifty-two points eighty-one thirty-three. July Chicago wheat is currently up fifty-four to half ten ninety-four to half. July Kansas City wheat up forty-nine and three quarters eleven seventy and three quarters. July spring wheat up thirty-seven and a half twelve twenty-nine at a quarter. Lean hog futures triple digits lower in the front months. Feeder cattle moderately lower with live cattle trade slightly higher. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Well, folks, thanks for joining us here for AAOA. We are going to be talking about federal policies next. This last week, we saw one long fought after ag policy get put to rest, and that was the release of the renewable volume obligations from the EPA. But we also saw a new political football get tossed into the land of agriculture with the release of President Joe Biden and Secretary Vilsack's food framework, the $2.1 billion plan they announced late last week. To help bring us up to speed on all of these different issues is Jackie Fatka, the policy editor over at Farm Progress. Jackie, thanks for joining us today. Always great to chat with you, Mike. Let's start with this EPA RVO release. Jackie, it was actually released on June 3rd, which I understand might have cost you some money. Uh, you know, I mentioned last week that, that I had an outstanding bet. I thought it'd go over because, you know, we're just used to everybody being late. But it did come out on Friday late and actually not at 4.30. It was like 3.30 Eastern in the afternoon. And so everybody was kind of refreshing to see what EPA was going to do with their RVO levels. Um, I think at the end of the day, I, we... Probably, they probably walked the line as well as they could of trying to account for lower blending that we saw because of COVID in 2020 and 2021. And so they actually retroactively lowered those amounts for those previous years, which had been a, a, a concern of those in the, in the ag industry, the ethanol industry, when EPA had proposed that they may be looking at doing that. Um, but for 2022, they set it at the congressional level of 15 billion gallons of conventional renewable fuel and also 5.63 for the advanced biofuels. Um, and another big thing that they did within this rule was that they finalized the denial of the 69 small refinery exemptions, which a lot of people had been asking. And then another big thing that they included within this rule was that uh, in 2016, under the Trump administration, there were a lot of those small refinery waivers that were granted. And so uh, they actually released a separate rule, which would remand 500 million gallons back. And so this was because of a court case, and they actually had lowered the amount of blending because they had approved those small refinery waivers, which the court found was was not the, the action that EPA should have taken under the Trump administration. And so they actually would, they included those 250 million of the 500 million in 2022, and then they're going to do the other half in 2023. So it's kind of a mixed bag. I think for the ethanol industry, they probably got what they expected out of this. And, and right now with, with the cost of gasoline just continuing to skyrocket. Um, hopefully this is another opportunity to encourage blending at a higher level to to keep those costs at least from soaring any higher. And Jackie, I mean, I've I've heard a lot of, as you say, just acceptance of this number from the ethanol industry. It was basically what was being discussed. They are, however, celebrating the finalization of those 69 SREs that were denied. Does this put an end to the small refinery exemption fight in D.C.? Can we now put it on the back burner and just let the numbers do the talking? You know, I think there is definitely more optimism that this maybe is behind us. Um, you know, and and I mentioned that court case from 2016. You know, a lot of people had been concerned with how they were approving these waivers. You know, the interesting thing is we go forward in the renewable fuel standard, Congress actually mandated through 2022, and we are actually in 2022. And so as we look towards the end of this year, 
and into 2023, it will no longer be a year setting of standards of what the blending requirements would be. And so it, from what I've heard from my discussions with those folks at EPA, they are looking to do a more multi-year process. And so maybe you would have a little less uncertainty from the year to year of whether or not you would have, you know, higher amounts one year, whether you're going to have, a, you know, multi-year possible standards that you could do over multiple years to meet. And so you're not just trying to meet it per year. You're looking at kind of a multi-year uh, approach. And so there's a lot of things that will be changing with how the RFS is mandated and they call it the set rule, but I would imagine that, and, and I've heard this, that they're going to have it more of a multi-year. And so there is a lot of this uncertainty when you just kind of do a one year and you're supposed to have it out in November, but you know, we're already well into 2022 and they're just now finalizing this deal. And so a lot of uncertainty. And so that's part of the thing with those small refineries, right? You're you're telling these folks that they've got to blend at a certain level, but they've kind of learned, well, if we just hold out long enough, then maybe we don't have to, maybe they'll change it or maybe they'll see things differently. And so, you know, I, I think there is a lot of hope that maybe this is going to provide some more stability and, and restore some of that integrity to the program that we've seen, maybe not fully uh, realized in the last couple of years. All right. So now that's behind us. We've got 2020, 2021, and 2022 released. And now we watch ahead for the fall for the 2023 RVO numbers, Jackie. And I'm sure that'll be a topic of conversation as we get closer. But next, I want to turn to the other announcement that came out at the end of last week. And this was the $2.1 billion framework for the food system that the Biden administration was talking about. Jackie, before we get into the, the who's and the what's, can you tell us how much of this money is going to go where, according to the framework? Yeah, so a lot of money and uh, where it all goes is uh, some of this has already been announced. Some of this is building on previous announcements. But, you know, one big thing when we came into the Biden administration, they passed the uh, American Rescue Plan, which included in that was several billion dollars, actually up to four billion dollars to quote, transform the food system. And so this is some of that initial work and framework for how they hope to transform the food system and using some of those pandemic assistance to help add resiliency to the food system. We all know that we learned some things during COVID that maybe revealed some uh, shortfalls in how we were able to, to truly be resilient. And so some of this money, we've got $300 million to, to transition farmers to organic production if they're wanting to do that, $75 million to support urban agriculture, $375 for expanding that meat processing, which we've talked about that before. There was $150 million previously, and this is adding to that. We've got some money for workforce development, so you've got people to actually work in those meat processing facilities, and then we've also got some money to $400 million to create regional food business centers. 600 million to help support the food supply infrastructure. So sometimes even like cold storage and being able to have some of the the actual infrastructure that you're that you need to keep cold things cold or be able to to ship things and so forth. And so this is this is really a, a very wide encompassing look at how to kind of build out and this Biden administration has been very focused on building back better. And so how can you take the the current food system and, and add 
some funding to help kind of raise raise up where we need to see some of the focus from from funding levels. Gotcha. And so last week when this was announced, we spoke with Mike Strands of the National Farmers Union about it, and they were supportive broadly of this initiative from the administration. But Jackie, that feeling of broad support isn't widely shared, especially across the aisle. What have been some of the uh, Republican comments on this announcement? Yeah, you know, this was actually, uh, I, I think this had not bipartisan support from the sense that, you know, we had a lot of COVID bills that did actually get bipartisan support. But then when Biden came into the office, that first big uh, pandemic relief bill that they passed early in the administration did not have any Republicans who supported it. And so we're starting to hear some more noise about, you know, this this seems like some pet projects. This is not addressing uh, the actual issues that are facing mo most producers, right? When you talk about regulatory burden and, and skyrocketing fertilizer cost and inflation, um, you know, are we really dealing with that when we're looking at boosting urban agriculture funding or transitioning to organic production? Obviously, we know that we can't feed everybody with organic production. And so the top House and Senate Republicans on the, the Ag Committee's we're really kind of critical of of this funding and whether this was something that is is really needed or if it's just another way that this administration is kind of maybe missing the mark and and failing to meet the moment of what we have with supply chain concerns because we know we can't we can't produce enough organic agriculture to meet everything that needs to be fed and uh, the the supplies needed for world grain. And um, we know that we have some real, real issues when it comes to input costs. And so I, I do actually think that this is going to kind of set up a larger debate on how to, to focus the farm bill debate as we go forward. You know, this is kind of a lot of little tiny Oh, feel good. This is some money here. And, and that's not to say that they're not good, but uh, I, I do think that there is some criticism that that maybe will lay the groundwork for some further discussion of how do we prioritize our funding as we go forward, whether that's from the farm bill, because this this is just a one time kind of drop in funding. And, and Secretary Vilsack said himself that this will require additional money from Congress to continue to to roll out this or expand these fundings and whether that is the right way to use the money, I think we're going to have to be watching here in the next year or so. Yeah, I think we are, because if we were authorized up to $4 billion, we're putting $2.1 out here now, there could be room for more funding to come out in the future. Jackie Fatka, Policy Editor at Farm Progress. Jackie, thanks for keeping an eye on everything going on in D.C., and thanks for sharing your insight with us here on AOA. You bet. Thanks, Mike. And folks, stick with us. We'll have more news to come before the end of the show, so stick around. More AOA is coming up after this break. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. 
and your intestines to keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me. You don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safeexcavator.com for more info. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger, Larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. When it comes to protecting your investment in fuel and diesel-powered equipment, Diesel X Gold from FS clearly beats other diesel fuels. New detergents disperse contaminants to prevent sludge that plugs filters and causes unexpected downtime. And now, better moisture handling chemistry helps ensure your fuel stays dry, reducing microbial growth and fuel line freeze-ups. So when you're deciding what fuel to use, choose Diesel X Gold, absolutely the best fuel to power and protect your diesel equipment. Contact your local FS Energy Specialist today or visit GoFurtherWithFS.com. Hi, I'm Secretary Tom Vilsack. In my 40 plus years of experience in the ag industry, I have seen firsthand the tremendous value and influence of the census of agriculture. A complete count of our farms, ranches, and the people who operate them that tells the story of U.S. agriculture. 
It highlights trends, needs, and the great impact agriculture has on every American, as well as folks around the world. Ag Census data also informs federal, state, and local decisions that will affect you and your operations for years to come. If you're an ag producer, no matter the size of your operation, urban or rural, and you did not receive the 2017 Census of Agriculture and did not receive other USDA surveys, you still have time to sign up to receive the 2022 Ag Census this fall. Every voice matters. To sign up or learn more, visit nas.usda.gov backslash agcensus. Thank you. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA here to start your week. As we take a look at what is happening to input prices throughout agriculture, folks, they're not breaking hard anytime soon. In fact, it was announced today from AAA that fuel prices have hit a new nationwide average price. This is true for both gasoline, regular unleaded, set a new nationwide highest average recorded price today of $4.86.5. Diesel. Unfortunately, folks, we had seen diesel prices stabilize here for the past three weeks. Diesel last hit its record on May 18th at $5.55.5. Well, today, unfortunately, for those of you rolling in diesel trucks, we've added a dime to that record price. Today set a new record for the high price of diesel, $5.64.5 as of this morning. These high fuel prices are contributing to higher food prices. They're contributing overall to the inflation pressures we're all feeling in our pocketbooks right now. And we're going to have those feelings of inflation transformed into hard numbers on Friday. Bureau of Labor Statistics will be releasing their CPI data. This is the consumer price data. This is the official quote unquote measure of inflation that we use here in this country. U.S. CPI data will be coming out Friday morning. As of right now, analysts and economists are expecting to see the core number. So that excludes housing and energy. They expect that to tick up half of a percent month over month. That would be slowing the rate of gain slightly from the month of April, where that core number was up 0.6 higher than it was back in March. However, the kicker, and I think the number that matters more to a lot of us who necessarily need to drive or feed ourselves, which turns out is most Americans, is the broad, the quote unquote headline measure of CPI. That's expected to to tick up 0.7% of a percent, and that would be a big jump from the April move, which was 0.3% higher. So we could see another move much higher in that headline inflation number, and that is being driven largely almost exclusively by this price hike we're seeing throughout the fuel system, both gasoline and diesel. Those prices continue to put a lot of upward pressure on all prices as they trickle through the food chain. So no doubt, folks, unfortunately, inflation and the ramifications of it are going to be topics we will be talking about uh, at least for the foreseeable future as this economy moves out of its covid inspired doldrums we also have some news coming out of brazil of course their harvest is underway they're wrapping up that safrina crop the dry season's about to get started most of that ground in brazil is about to go fallow until the next growing season 
However, Brazilian farmers, Brazilian policymakers, Brazilian researchers are growing just as concerned about a food crisis around the globe as a lot of us here in this country. We're watching this very carefully. And one way the Brazilians are working to address it is by genetically modifying wheat. Uh, an Argentinian company called Bioceres has partnered with a group in Brazil, and they have developed a genetically modified strain of wheat that can thrive in dry weather. Now, of course, GM crops are no stranger to Brazil. They plant the vast majority of their corn and soybeans are genetically modified. Their ag system is very similar to the United States in the sense that they're using highly technologically advanced crops, and this wheat is expected to fit right in. Consumers, however, have been a little leery of the technology, and this has been true they were leery of GM technology in wheat for a long time. We see this in the United States. We see this in countries like Japan. Most of the corn and soy that's genetically modified is fed through livestock, and then we eat the product of that GM, right? We're eating the, the pork, we're eating the beef, etc. Wheat, since it's consumed directly by people in the form of bread and pasta and so forth, there's a little more hesitancy globally over the addition of GM crops. However, this one already has some regulatory approvals in big wheat producing states, not just Brazil, not just Argentina, but also Australia and New Zealand have approved the use and sale of foods that contain this HB4 wheat from BioCeres. So Brazil has been testing this crop for some time. They do have some regulatory approval from the, uh, their biosecurity agency down in Brazil, and I think it looks like they're going to have one more year of plant testing in Brazil before they move on to full-scale production. And uh, there was a recent survey down there that showed 70% of consumers in Brazil would consume GM wheat, quite a shift from surveys done in the past. We've also got news coming out of the American countries, countries, I should say, of the Americas. This week in Los Angeles, the United States is hosting the Summit of the Americas. This is the annual or semi-annual get-together of leaders throughout the Western Hemisphere, looking through Central America, South America. And this year, there's a bit of fireworks. Remember, we have been moving a lot of agricultural products into those countries. Dan Halstrom has been on discussing the sales of U.S. meat into Central and South America. We've seen soybeans increasingly move into those places, they matter for the American agricultural producer. And there's a little bit of drama right now. So the summit is happening this week. Since it's happening in the United States, the United States basically gets to write the schedule and how it's going to look and who all is invited. And the United States decided not to invite the representatives from Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua, all for political reasons. Obviously, we know those three countries, they don't always side with the United States in terms of policy issues. And so the U.S. said, you know, you're not welcome. So the president of Mexico, Manuel Oprez Lobrador, said he's not going to come because all of these countries weren't invited. This this roundtable, this summit is happening this week in Los Angeles, and he said he's not going to come up. Instead, he's going to wait to meet with President Biden in July. There are concerns that now with him out, we could see other Central and South American leaders also renounce their, their travel to this summit, and it could turn into a bit of a black eye on the international stage for this Biden administration. You know, they're working hard to try and rebuild friendships that they feel were hurt during the Trump administration. So we'll see how all this plays out. Anytime we get a group of leaders together in one place, there's almost always headlines, and there are almost always new releases. We almost always learn something from so we'll be keeping an eye on what develops there in Los Angeles as this week goes on. And folks, we will continue addressing the news that impacts agriculture 
right here on AOA. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow, same place, same time, right here. Take care, everybody. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.